of John, chapter 17. All right, John 17. Thanks, Joshua, for playing. A um, couple of verses. They will pray, and then we'll look at a subject that um, is certainly a vital one, and we're dealing, under, this is all under the heading of issues of life, things that we need to be concerned with, or things that God does, He's doing in our lives. And so in John 17, which if you haven't, if you haven't read this chapter recently, you know, it's good to do this every now and then, and, and because it's Jesus Christ praying. Um, in fact, this happened the night before he was betrayed, and so the Lord prayed. And then at some point, um, probably after this prayer, is when he prayed his prayer of agony. That's recorded in Luke chapter 23, where he, you know, where he wrestled with the powers of darkness and all those things that were facing him as he went to the cross. But that very same night, um, Jesus prayed these words that are, that are recorded in John 17, and it's a prayer for his disciples. All right? Let's pick it up in verse 17, and um, we'll read down through verse 20, and we'll see, because I want you to see, in, by way of introduction, what he says about future believers like us. Right? But in John 17, verse 17, this is what the Lord prayed, Sanctify them through thy truth, Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. All right, so notice the prayer for future believers, and that would certainly apply to us as well as every generation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so thankful tonight for thy precious word and for another opportunity that we have to meet together to open the Bible and also to sing hymns. And we ask, Father, for the help of the Holy Spirit as we look into the word tonight, that he might truly speak to our hearts. We thank thee for the, the sanctifying work that is being done in our lives, and we pray that it help us to submit to that and become more like Christ thereby. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Sanctification is what we're looking at tonight, and we're looking at the, the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit as part of our series of issues that we're dealing with. All right. And uh, as we've said several times through this part of our series, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is very, very important. All right, Jesus promised to send him, and he did. And he, the Spirit of God uh, works in us and through us. We've talked about that. And one of the things that he does, in fact, is called, referred in, uh, to uh, sanctification of the Spirit. So that makes it a ministry of the Spirit of God. All right, now, there are two words, the word sanctification. We're going to see that word in, in verses we're going to look at tonight. And the word sanctify. Notice he says, sanctify them, verse 17. And sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And then the last part of verse 19, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And so, we, and so therefore, um, because the Bible refers to the sanctification of the Spirit, and because Jesus prayed that believers would be sanctified through the truth, then we can connect those two and say that sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. By, mean, by that I mean the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God, the truth, 
to sanctify believers. So, okay, so what is that? Well, the word sanctification means holiness. There is a, a basic word in the New Testament, and the Greek word is hagnos, which means holiness. And so that's kind of like, that would refer to the process. That would refer to the goal of what God is doing. The word sanctify, obviously sanctification is a noun. And if you remember from grammar school, a noun is a person, place, or thing, or idea, or concept. Well, here it is the concept of holiness, sanctification. So we could say it's the goal or the aim to which God is working. In other words, sanctify is a verb, and it means to make holy, to set apart. And so that refers to the work of the Spirit of God. And so these two words are closely related and describe a very important work of God in the life of the believer. Again, John 17, Christ's prayer for his disciples and for us is, Sanctify them through thy truth, Thy word is truth. All right. Now, one of the, how we're going to lay this message out before you tonight is basically that there are three aspects of sanctification that are mentioned in Scripture. Three parts, if you will. Okay. There is positional, there is progressive, and then there is complete or perfect sanctification. Now, we're going to get we're going to look at those tonight in the Scriptures and. Before we do that, I want you to understand that the word, that perfect sanctification, we will never see that in this world, in this life. All right? Just hang on to that thought. We'll show you how the, the scriptures um, talk about that. All right. Now, in fact, let's take a look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And here you can see all three aspects of sanctification in a nutshell, so to speak, in one verse of scripture, even though the word sanctification doesn't appear as such in Philippians chapter 1, the concept is there, right? Philippians chapter 1 says this, being confident of this very thing, that you know, this exact thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, all right? He which hath begun, that's positional. That takes place at salvation. Positional, the work begins. Notice it says, he, he uh, will perform it. That's progressive as God continues to work in our lives. And then the perfect or complete until the day of Jesus Christ, when we will be complete spirit, soul, and body. Our, our body will be changed at the rapture, and we will be perfectly sanctified, all right? Now, we're going to, we're going to look at other scriptures, but there's a neat little ver verse right there, all three, all three aspects in one verse of scripture. Now, other scriptures we're going to look at tonight kind of on, uh, expand on the topic. So, positional sanctification. This that takes place at salvation. Notice, let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we could, we could say it this way. I am sanctified. I'm being sanctified. And I will be sanctified. All right? And so we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And remember, the sanctification means holiness, or sanctify means to set apart, to make holy. So the two, two aspects, to make holy and to consecrate. You know, it's one word, sanctify, but it has two aspects, all right? To make 
holy. To make us more holy. Right? And of course, holy means, you know, to be pure and spotless and all those things. And then um, the word set apart means to consecrate. And so to, or separate. There's a, the word separation in the Bible and the word sanctification are also closely related. And sanctification refers to both separating from evil, separating from worldly things, and separating unto God. And that's, a, that's, what, that's, a, that's, that's what God is working at, working toward in our lives. Now, the first aspect of that, again, happens at salvation. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, that was Paul's co-worker there, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are, san- are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now notice that phrase, are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So that's our position. When we are saved, we are brought in Christ. We're made in Christ. We become part of him. We become part of his spiritual body. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized, Christ actually baptizes us with or in the Holy Spirit, which brings us to himself, bring, makes us part of the, of the body of Christ, and so on. And so there's a, there's a sanctification that takes place at salvation. So it involves that. All right, also 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And so we're going to just take a look at some things that go along with that. In other words, these are things that are true of every believer, all right? Every believer has a position of sanctification, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, not only does it involve position in Christ, it also involves purchased by Christ, right? We're purchased, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, what, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All right? He's, he bought us with his precious blood. If you're saved tonight, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you are a blood bought possession of the Lord, where we are his, all right? We sang the hymn, I am thine, O Lord, right? That's where we are. That's our position in Christ as a believer, all right? We must never forget that he bought us and that we are not our own. In other words, we don't belong to ourselves. Our bodies are not ours. Our lives are not ours. They belong to Jesus Christ. They're his, right? All right, then 1 Corinthians 6 also. The third thing is we, it involves being redeemed by Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, now this does use sanctified. Um, verse 9, and, and this passage of scripture is very vital, very important in the day in which we live. All right, know ye not. In other words, do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Think, get that. I get that question. Paul says, Had you, "Have you forgotten this, or didn't, don't you know that the unrighteous, that is the unbeliever, the unsaved, those who, and those who who practice wickedness, unrighteous, shall not inherit the kingdom of God." In other words, they're, they're not saved, and they won't be in heaven 
unless they repent of their sins and trust Christ. Now what is, and he goes on to say this, be not deceived. Right? Because, and so, why would Paul say, be not deceived, if there's no danger of being deceived, all right? And, and in, in his day, and our day, one of the greatest deceptions is that, yes, I can be saved and live any way I want to. Now, you'll never find that in the Bible, all right? Never, ever, ever. We, who, like, we like me in our church, that we teach that once when a person is saved, they're saved forever. We're accused of that. We never say that. To the opposite, we say if you are saved, you will live like you're saved. All right, we, that's what the that's what we, that's what the Bible teaches. So okay, okay, so who is Paul talking about? Who will not be saved? Who's not who's not saved? I should put it that way, because anybody can be saved if they realize their need of Christ, trust in Him. But so who won't go to heaven? Who's not saved? Who won't go to heaven? He says neither fornicators. That's people who will practice sexual immorality. Um, nor idolaters. That's an idol is anything that we worship in the place of God. Is, of course, false religion goes into that. Nor adulterers, that is those who, who, have, who have immoral affairs with other people's husbands or wife. In other words, it's a man who's with somebody, somebody else's wife or a wife who's with somebody else's husband. Nor effeminate. Or, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind both are talking about homosexuality. Right? It's like men who are effeminate and, and, and abuse themselves. So it's talking about the man here, basically. There are those, I mean, I don't want to be gross, I'm not going to give terrible details and everything, but in, the, in, a, in, a mo in a relationship, if you want to call it that, it's a sinful relationship, but two men, one of them is usually the passive one and one's the aggressive one, all right? And that's what's talked about here. The effeminate are the ones who play the role of, a, of the woman, so to speak, and the abusers of themselves, they're the, they're the aggressors, they're the, they're, the, they're the forceful ones, so to speak, all right? Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Thieves are like our robbers or people that steal. Extortioners, so thieves are blue-collar criminals and extortioners are white-collar criminals. Extortioners take money from companies and through, dis through dis dishonesty, stuff like that. Of course, revilers are those curse who curse and do all that kind of thing. And so, covetous are greedy. So, interesting, is it not, that, that Paul says covetousness can keep a person on the road to hell. Right? Now, none of those shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's a very strong statement. It's a true statement. So, this is one of those cases, what are people going to believe today? Are we going to believe the scriptures? Or are we going to believe experiences or things people claim. Now, just I, I, hate to, I hate to always keep using the same stuff as an illustration, but there are gay churches, right? And they teach that we, you know, you can be saved, or you know, we, you know, all that kind of thing, and practice a homosexual lifestyle. The Bible says it can't happen. It cannot be done. Now, they might claim it, all those kinds of things, you know. And so... <clears throat> 
we can put you could talk about any, any of those other things and and I mean there are churches that that allow condone all kinds of sin all right I know in the name of love or liberty or tolerance or whatever the case would be but the Bible says no it's a serious thing it's likely there are going to be people in hell who think they're going to heaven because they think they're saved because of some, for some reason, but they, they continue to live a sinful lifestyle. Now, do you get Do you get it? Do you understand there's a difference between occasionally sinning and living in sin? They're, they're, they're totally different things because as a Christian, we, we are capable of occasionally sinning. And yet, and when we do, when a Christian sins, there's some things that happen. There is grieving of the Holy Spirit. There's conviction, and there's a drawing to confess that sin. That's how the Spirit of God moves. And if that doesn't work, so to speak, then there's chastening, there's correction. God brings things into the person's life if they're a believer. Hebrews 12 is not we're not going to turn there tonight, but you might want to look at that sometime. And the Lord says, if you're not chastened, then you're not a child of God. All right, so understand that. And so I say that because there's so there's so much out there today, and and where people just kind of glory in the fact, yeah, I'm saved, and but I but I'm you know I'm just doing what doing my thing, you know. I remember years ago, Brother Jerry, you know, when he was working over at Procter and Gamble, he was witnessing one of his one of his co-workers, and and the guy came to work and said, you know, a few months later, he said, yeah, I'm saved now. I prayed Jesus in my heart, and so, so Jerry very wisely said, well, how has that affected your life, or how how has that affected your sin? Oh no, he says I still sin just as much as I ever did, but I feel better about myself doing it. That's not salvation. <laughs> anyway, I get, we got to move along. We'll never get off this point. But but then if they stop there, then that's hopeless, right? But verse eleven, and such were some of you. Okay, that's what Paul said. So he said to the Corinthians, such were some of you. You used to be those things, but. Ye are washed, in other words, what washed in the blood of Christ. You are sanctified. You're set apart. You are justified, in other words, declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus, and how else? By the Spirit of our God. See, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, so there's one more in this one. Position. It also involves being eternally secured in Christ. All right, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 10. Um, Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> and to give you a little bit, we're going to read verse 11. We're going to start there. And Hebrews, as the name suggests, was written, first of all, to Hebrew believers, Jewish people who had become Christians. And so the writer is going through the book of Hebrews, and one of the things that he is dealing with in the book of Hebrews, he compares the Old Testament priesthood under Aaron and the New Testament. You know, Aaron was the high priest, the first high priest in Israel. And so comparing that to the, to the priesthood of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, all right? And says that throughout um, the book of Hebrews. And so this is one of those places where he's reminding the Hebrew believers of the inadequacy 
of an incompleteness of the Old Testament priesthood. And going back, because there was pressure on the Hebrews to go back under the law. Right? And so the writer, he said this, in every priest, now he's talking about the priest of the temple, notice this, notice, and every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You understand what that means, right? They're offering those animal sacrifices, which they had to. It was commanded of God in the Old Testament. But thankfully, now that, but now that Christ offered himself, there's no more animal sacrifices. But this man, okay, Jesus, this man, after he had offered one, praise the Lord for that, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Right? So why are the Old Testament priests, pre, yeah, priests, priestess, priests, why are they, why are they pictured as standing? Right? Why? Because their work is never done. Same sacrifice, over and over and over and over. And then why is Jesus Christ, why is he pictured as sitting down? Why? Because it is finished. His work is, his saving work is done. His sacrificial work is done. From henceforth expecting, verse 10, or anticipating, till his enemies be made his footstool, till he reigns, and all that. For Now here's, I've got this, this all to get to verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Right? So perfected there means finished or completed. So it's a it's, it's, it's couple things. Um, everybody who's, every believer, everyone who's sanctified is secure you know, we're eternally secure in Christ, all right? And then the Bible does say in several places that we, we demonstrate that by our, 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 you know, hanging on to the Lord and, and, and doing things for him and living for him, not perfectly, not 100% obedient, but a life of obedience to the Lord. So there's position. That's, these are all things that are ours because we're saved, all right? 100%, all right? Now, second is progressive sanctification. That is throughout our earthly life. And it begins at salvation, all right? Now, this, this is a process, if you will. That's why I call it progressive. I didn't call I didn't invent that term. That was invented centuries ago. But anyway, uh, let's begin in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now get this, listen carefully. Um, positional is really is the same for every Christian. We're 100% equal as far as that goes. All right. So our, in positional, nobody's more sanctified than anybody else. Okay. But progressive is is not necessarily the same. All right. Progressive. What I mean by that? We, it's pro, why it's called progressive because there are different levels. For lack, for lack of a better word, different levels. In other words, some have made more progress. But and God works, and but the, the, the more that we respond and surrender and follow the teaching of the Word of God, the more progress we make. Right? Peter referred to it as growing in grace and in the knowledge of Christ in 2 Peter 3.18. So let's take a look at, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verse 20, it says, But in a great house, or household, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor 
and some to dishonor. You know, um, you know there, there's, uh, you know, there's nice, peop- nice rooms in the house. <laughs> there's also a garbage can and a toilet. You know, <laughs> so that's the idea. Uh, you know, there's things of gold, silver. You know, there are things on display and beautiful, but there's also things that are not honorable. And so he's talking, of course, he's using that as a an, as an example of spiritually. If a man, verse 21, therefore purge himself from these, where purge means to, cl- to be cleansed, right? Um, how, does this, how does somebody purge himself? Well, by submitting to the working of the Holy Spirit, submitting to God and to his word and following the teaching of the word of God. And yes, by refusing to do the things that the word of God says not to do. And by being determined to do the things that God tells us to do. Um, you know, it means laying, putting things out of our life that are not pleasing to the Lord. And we do, and it's not just a passive thing where we just let God, you know, we just, you know, if God wants me to stop this, he'll, he'll make me. No, that's not the point. We need to be determined. When we see something in the Word of God, like the things in 1 Corinthians 6, those things, that, those sins that Paul listed, if, we have, if we're tempted in those areas or whatever, that we, we go to God with those and say, God, by your grace, I'm not going to do that anymore. Okay, it's we, you know, it, it's and, and and you can pray. It's our, it's okay to pray. Um, you know, you can ask God to take away the desire for a certain habit, but you can't just wait for Him to do that. All right. One of the things we do, we put away sin, we we stop doing things, and then we trust God for the grace to stay away from them. Okay. So. Um, so therefore, if a man therefore, 2 Timothy 2.21, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. And, and again, that purging is, is not a once-for-all thing because sin doesn't give up. Just because we, you know, <laughs> we, do, we stop doing it one time, the devil doesn't give up, the world doesn't give up. Unfortunately, our own flesh nature, the sin nature, doesn't give up. Right. Can't be reformed. It, you know, it can't be changed. It only, it only can be subdued and resisted. Notice this, though. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, in other words, set apart, and meet or fit for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So that's what sanctification sanctification does. That work, that progressive work, makes us more like Christ. In fact, if you, as, as in studying the Word of God, you could say that Christ likeness is another is a word that means exactly like what sanctification is all about. Right? That sanctifying process has one goal, really. That's to make us more like Christ, make us more like Jesus in His attitudes and life and words and all those kinds of things. And so again, it's a progressive thing; doesn't happen all at once. Let me just put it to, you know, in, in simple terms. Let's take, let's, you know, generally speaking, a Christian, we should be more along the road of sanctification than we were five years ago, but not as far as we'll be in five more years, because we're never going to get to that 100% point here on the earth. All right, that's one. Let's take a look at First Thessalonians chapter 4. 
And this is what I'm looking at. This First Thessalonians, or I'm Second Timothy two twenty twenty one, is a general thing. All right, purge from these whatever displeases God, whatever would make us a vessel of dishonor. Get those things out of our life. Now, First Thessalonians is is more, very specific as well as being general. All right, First Thessalonians chapter four, and it's it's kind of. Um, it's, it's a consistent principle in the New Testament. Um, if you take a look at, at lists of sins, and there are several lists of sins, immorality, sexual sins are always at the top, right? Because that seems to be the main deviation. That just seems to be the, th- the thing that's just taking charge of our world, of our society, Today, all right. I mean, there's, there's just—it's very, very rare to see, you know, two people, uh, you know, a man and a woman. That's what marriage is, by the way. A man and a woman get married who have never been with another man or woman. That—that that, it's very rare today. You see, this morning, and I know some of you weren't here this morning, but when think about that passage of scripture in Luke where they brought that that woman came to Jesus and she was a sinner. All right. Now, the difference between today, and I'm talking society, and 2,000 years ago is that immorality was socially unacceptable in Jesus' day. There was a standard of righteousness. Now, people went behind the scenes and they didn't all keep it, but you know there was there was a, there was that kind of you know that kind of standard in society. Not not much today. Not much today. I remember too, and I, I mean, I didn't know so much back in the day, but when my mother and father split up when I was about eight years old for the final time, and the problem was my, my dad, my father drank all the time, and he chased women, and he had all kinds of, you know, he did all kinds of cheating and all that sort of thing. And I, do you, do you remember, I don't know how many, some of you were even born then, but do you know that back in the 60s, you know, a woman could charge her husband with adultery, and he could be got, brought before a judge? And he could be fined and things like that. Now that's only, well, almost 60 years ago now. But that's, that was America in the 60s. You could still, now of course they threw that all away. I mean, it used to be illegal to be a homosexual. They had sodomy laws. So there was a standard. There was a moral standard. And why is that? Well, because the laws of lands are based on the Ten Commandments, whether they admit or not. So we're, we're, we're not there anymore, it seems like, in our society. I mean, you can basically do whatever you want. And we're the ones who believe in man-woman marriage and so on. We're the, we're the weirdos. We're the outcasts of society. And that's okay. But what I'm saying is that God's standard does not change. But the sad thing is that churches are becoming very tolerant of this kind of thing. And, and people, many people claiming to be Christians are living in these wicked lifestyles, right? Um, someone did a survey that the rate of divorce and, and so on is, is about the same for so-called Christians as non-Christians. Um, the percentage of teenage sexual sex is about the same for the church as it is for the unchurched. Now that's a sad commentary but it's telling us that people are forsaking the word of God, right? So here's what, so I said all that to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Notice, verse 3. 
For this is the will of God. So the will of God is not, well, this is what God wants, but if you don't do it, it's okay. That, that's, the, that's the idea that's creeping in today. Now, the will of God is like the Ten Commandments, all right? You know, I mean, it's, it's more than that, but you know what I'm saying? The will of God is, you will do this, all right? Or you will not do that. That's the will of God. So what's part of the will of God? This is the will of God. And by the, word, by the way, the word will here means the directive as well as the desire. This is what God desires for us, even your sanctification. Notice that you should abstain from fornication. Okay, fornication is a, is a word that talks about any kind of sexual sin, anything that the Bible says God doesn't want us to do. All right? And so, in fact, the word fornication is the Greek word porneo, or pornos, where we get our English word, pornography, and a lot of you know what they're doing nowadays? They're just calling it porn. Isn't that interesting? That's the Greek word, pornos. And God says, don't do it. The will of God is that we should abstain from fornication. Now he's talking to believers that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And vessel here means a specific part of the, of the male body. All right, It's talking about the sexual part. Possess his vessel. Remember back in the day, David was running around, fleeing from Saul, running around, fleeing from Saul, and somebody, they went to the temple, and the priest said, well, have, have, are, how, are you guys pure? Are you guys, have, you know, and David said, we have been, we have not been, women, I think three days, I think that's what he said, the, the vessels of the men are pure. And that's the same idea of the word vessel here, all right? So, not in the lust of concupiscence, again, no, sanctification, holiness, Hebrews, by the way, says marriage is honorable and all the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So there's a holiness in the proper sex relationship between a man and, and his wife, right? So not, he says, not, don't do this, not in the lust of concupiscence, that's lust and that's, um, you know, no restraint, even as the Gentiles which know not God. All right, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, that were immorality, but unto holiness. Now get this. He therefore that despiseth. So in other words, if you despise that, if you despise that teaching of the word of God, despiseth not man, but God who hath also given unto us of his Holy Spirit. Okay? And we're told, that's your opinion. No, it's not my opinion. It's the word of God. That's what Paul said here. It's not man's word. It's the word of God. All right? So also, in Ephesians, and this is, the verse in Ephesians is going to be a bridge between progressive and complete. All right? And our complete is, won't take as long. Um, haha in the message or when it actually happens. <laughs> little play on words there. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, you know, um, you know, Ephesians chapter 5 is, is a passage that's used a lot to describe the husband and wife relationship, and it's, that's good, it's there. And yet Paul says the main purpose is, is Christ in the church. But anyway, let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. 
And he, I'm going to look at the part with the, of the husband, um, because in the house, in the, in the relationship, the husband represents Christ, okay? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. Now, you know what that's talking about? That's talking about on the cross for salvation. Why? That he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's progressive. He continues to do that, right? First John 1 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. And the idea of that word is to keep on cleansing us. As we sin, as we confess, he cleanses us over and over again, progressively. And then here is the complete, here's the ultimate, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so the goal of, sanct of sanctification is to make us as near to perfection as possibly can be down here so that when we go up there in the rapture, we will, and then we will be. You know, when, it, when will Jesus do this? It will be at the rapture. He'll present, when we get to heaven, he will present uh, the church to himself. You know, there's the judgment seat of Christ and there's the marriage of the Lamb and those great things that take place in heaven. And at that point, our sanctification will be complete. And I'm not, I'm, this is, I don't know how else to say this. I'm not making light of it, but it's the idea here that he will have less work to do in that so that there won't have to be such a great change. I mean, it's going to be wonderful. You know, our bodies are going to be changed like that. So, so therefore, so what I'm saying is that we can help, we can help the Lord as, as it were by submission to make it, make it easier for him to mold us, again, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, to mold us into his image. Okay? Now, there's, um, First John, and I, yes, First John, two, there's two more scriptures and we're done. First John chapter 3, I want you to notice some things that this is a wonderful three little verses in First John. So now we're talking about we're moving to complete when we will be fully um, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That will take place, well, well, we'll see it. Don't, let's go there. First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Now, look at our acceptance in verse 1. Our, this is for, this is our, as a believer, behold. You know, there's two words when, the, when you say beware, that's, a, that's an attention getter, okay? This is watch out for, right? But you see, the word behold is also an attention getter, but it's not avoid, it's look at, consider this, embrace this, all right? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God, spiritual sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. And there's a whole other subject right there. But notice the, the love of God, what manner of love. I mean, again, what? think about that. Again, the love of God making us his children, all right, through Christ, all right? Now, second, 
there's an anticipation in verse 2. Beloved, now are, now are we the sons of God. We are the sons of God right now. Spiritual sons of God. You know, well, I don't want to, anyway, I don't want to get off on too much attention here, but, you know, the Bible does say children of God sometimes, but it also says sons of God, because Jesus was the son of God. He wasn't the daughter of God, okay? Jesus was the son of God. No, I'm not being sarcastic here, but if Jesus had come to earth as a girl to be our savior, then we were saved and become daughters of God. But because Jesus was the son of God, when we're saved, we become spiritual sons, right? Jesus is our elder brother. Now, I'm saying that because there's a, there's a movement today that every time the Bible says sons of God, they want to change it to children of God. But that's not good because there's a, there's a special thing about being a son of God. Now, if you're a woman tonight and you're saved, you're a spiritual son, right? You're a spiritual son. Then we get to heaven, we're going to be the bride. Now, that's, you know... <laughs> We're going to be the bride of Christ. So anyway, but we're sons of God. Now here's here's the sanctification part, the complete. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Because we don't we don't know what we're going to be like because we don't we've never seen it. That's the idea. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So in order to see Him as He is in heaven, we have to be like Him. That's, that's the anticipation. We're going to be like him someday. Now there's a song that's popular up in Canada, maybe down here too, and I, I don't think we'd sing it, but anyway, um, it's, it's kind of a, I don't know what you want to call it. You may have heard it. I'm not making fun, but it's one of this. I heard a guy in Canada sing one time, I'm just a lump of coal, but I'll be a diamond someday. <laughs> Uh, and that's, yeah, that kind of get that kind of gets it, but you know. But we're more than a lump of coal, that's for sure. Even now, but but that's the idea. You know, we are what we are now. But when we get to glory, we're going to be like Him. And praise the Lord for that. I don't hear any amens, but anyway, I hope you hope you're happy about it. And then there is also a an authentication. And the Bible's all about that. The Bible is not just about pro- profession. It's about reality. Okay. Look at verse 3. And every man, again that word man is, is generic, so every person, every, every, everyone, that hath this hope, what's that hope? Hope of being like Christ, being in heaven, in him that is in Christ, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So again it goes, even goes back to what we anticipate in heaven is meant to affect our life down here. There's authentication, right? So much so that Paul wrote, there's a special reward for those that love his appearing. Okay, Eric, one more, one more scripture in closing. First Peter chapter 1. And very, at the beginning of the message, we mentioned that the definition of sanctification is holiness. All right? <clears throat> I want to close with this, 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 is a, this reminder. First Peter chapter one, verse fourteen: As obedient, as obedient children. First Peter one fourteen: As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves, not modeling yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. That's before salvation. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, or behavior, lifestyle. Because it is written, B, 
be ye holy, for I am holy. God says, I'm holy, you're to be holy. And of course, you know, down here, obviously, we're never going to be as holy as God is. But God wants us to be holy. And again, holy, sanctific- holiness, sanctification, are synonyms. They mean the same. And so, again, holiness is not just what we don't do anymore. That's important. You know, put away sin. But holiness is also embracing the things, the, the, the attitudes, the words, the works, the life that God has for us. The, the life of righteousness, the life of a Christian, all those things. Okay, so may, the, may God help us. And um, sanctification is a, is a wonderful thing. It's great to be made more and more like Christ. Oh, my. Oh, to be like thee. There's, there's so many hymns in our hymn book that speak about this, you know, this great truth of sanctification. More like the Master. Um, you know, that sort of thing. All right, let's pray. Father, thanks so much for the time we can have in thy word tonight. I, I hope, I trust it's been a learning and a growing uh, time for every one of us, no matter how long we've been saved. Um, Lord, that thou would just continue to do that work of sanctification in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books. We're going to close with number 376. Um, take time to be holy. If you'll turn there, please. 376. Um, and as you see, as we sing this hymn, um, take time to be holy really seems to address the area of consecration as much as anything. You know, speak off with the Lord, spend time with him, and you know, just be with him, be consecrated to him. So let's stand, please. Um, 376. I love, one of the things that this will do, when we get to the end of verse 2, as we're singing that verse, just, just kind of let this, that the, end, the last line of the second verse stand out. Thy friends in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. That, that's what it's all about, all right? Other people seeing the likeness of Christ in our lives. But, all right, okay, Joshua, thanks. All four verses. <clears throat>
serve the Lord in heaven. The Bible doesn't say what all that means, but it would be great. Father, we thank you so much, dear God, for this time we could meet together. We thank thee for thy precious word, for the truth of it, for the teaching and the word of sanctification. We're thankful for that work, and Lord, help that we might submit to it and learn more about it, and uh, just be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Please watch over everyone now as they go to their homes. Lord, please clear the way. Give safety. Help us this week that we might be faithful. And Lord, please use us in, in, in your service, in your ministry, that we might be testimonies, that we might be encouragement to believers and might be a witness to the unsaved. We'll thank thee. Uh, Lord, we want to pray for Caleb. And if they still go to Philadelphia, uh, Lord, they might get some real answers. We're, we're thankful uh, that he is doing better, and, and we just commit him unto thee. And we thank thee in Jesus' name. Amen.